Today, we're talking to Shensi, co-founder at Merge, about her founding journey and how Merge is revolutionizing API integrations. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. So, hey, you're calling, you're from New York right now? You're in New York? Yes, I'm in New York okay. City. Is it winter cold yet? Oh, it is, but it's so nice. It's um, it's really nice to just be walking around in the cold right now because I feel like it was too hot for a long time and I'm still traumatized from that over the summer. So it's like good to, I, I haven't, I haven't gotten traumatized from the cold yet. And then once I do, then it's going to get warm again. So yes, that's yes. how they trick you. it's still kind of like fall, like, ooh, it's cold today. And then in two months, it's going to be like, when will this be over? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Also, it's nice to actually have an excuse to just be inside and like not do anything on the weekends versus when I was in San Francisco, the weather was always good. So I was always tired. I was like, oh no, I have to leave the house. When did you make the move? Uh, or two and a half years ago, uh, we so we started the company in San Francisco and we had around like eight people in San Francisco at the time. We were all in person. We were always together. We started selling to Europe and like Israel pretty early on um, because we were just so, everyone was remote. So many people, engineers like all over the place. Um, and we found the time zone in California was pretty tough, especially in the early days where we really wanted to get as many sales meetings as possible. And so New York was just a lot better for that time zone wise. Um, and Gil, my co-founder, we both met in college. We went to school in New York and I'm, I'm just a New Yorker. I'm like an asshole. I love being inside. I like <laughs> hate nature. I'm allergic to everything. And so I was like, oh, maybe this might be a good time for us to like start a New York office so we can really get like a good go-to-market team going here. So I moved out to New York with one of my team members, got started, like had an office and it's just been really great. Like actually now most of the team members are in New York, although we still have a really big office in San Francisco. Uh, but it's nice to be able to serve a lot more customers from this time zone versus just in California. So how many people do you have in New York? We were around 70 people in New York and around 30 people in San Francisco. We actually just signed a San Francisco um, office. So we're finally moving out of like a, a WeWork. Um, we're signing like a full floor. So that'll be also be very exciting for the San Francisco oh, nice. team. Yeah. Yeah. What's the real estate market like there? Is it still pretty crazy? Is it good for renters or no? I think it depends on what size you're looking for. So if you're like huge company, you're getting a huge lease. I think it's absolutely bonkers. Like everything is super, super, super cheap. Um, but if you're around our size or if you're the size of our San Francisco office, which is around 30, it's that's a really popular size to look for mm-hmm. space. So it's really competitive, which is really annoying. Um, and then also if it's like a lease that has a lot of sunlight, it's very competitive as well because there's a lot of leases <laughs> that are just like super dark and like emo and those no one wants. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is fun. All right. So why did you even decide to do this company? How did this come about? So Gil and I are best friends of college and we've always been like really good friends. So I moved to San Francisco and I moved into tech and Gil was already there. And we just always would get like dinner, lunch on the weekends. We do like workout classes and we just talk about work. And around like 2019, 2018 or so, we were both at startups in San Francisco. They ran into this problem of meeting a lot of integrations with different competitors in the same category. And we were also actually working in very different industries. I was in cybersecurity. He was in recruiting tech. But what we were noticing was that fundamentally it was a very similar problem and no one was solving it. There were so many companies that were solving like automation and workflows and internal tooling, like connecting, you know, various systems that people had already purchased, but nothing was solving the problem of adding integrations to a product for um, customer facing use cases. And we wanted to solve it. So that's why we quit, you know, completely took over our lives. Um, and now fast forward now around four years. It's just been really, really fun. When people first see this, like when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is kind of like Zapier, right? Trying to understand what it is. But it seems like it's not. Can you explain to me how it's not Zapier? 
So Zapier, there's a very different purpose and we use Zapier a lot internally as well. So Zapier very much focuses on like, if I need to do this all the time, then trigger this, do that, blah, blah, blah. Very much for internal business use cases, usually a non-technical business user as well. Merge is not for that. If someone comes to us and they want to use some like internal workflow, they have like two systems they want to connect. We always just say, I'm sorry, that's not what we're for. There's so many other companies that are much better on that and you should use them instead. What Merge is really for is, hey, customer A is using one vendor, customer B is using their competitor, and then customer C is using another competitor. And they're all this in the same exact category, but you don't have integrations with any of them. Or maybe you have integrations with one of them, but you don't have integrations with the remainder. Instead of having to build all of them one by one by one in-house, just having like a horrible code base that you have to continuously maintain, you just use Merge and you're done. We have a completely normalized API schema. You have the same data model over and over again, regardless of which platform your customers are using. We maintain the integrations for you. Everything from like pagination, rate limiting, and obviously the data is handled on our part as well. Um, so it really creates a great developer experience. It allows them to offload that um, that team basically onto us. And when did you realize that you had product market fit? So we did a lot of research before we even quit our jobs because we wanted to just see whether people would even use this. It was a very different angle. Previously, I think what was very different in the market was that the onus was on the buyer to have to connect these two systems. You'd buy Marketo and you'd buy Salesforce, then you would be responsible for connecting the two. Um, but instead, what the onus was starting to move towards the vendor because there's so many vendors out there. There's so much competition. There was so much VC funding. And so if you came out of the gate and you didn't have any integrations, no one would fucking use you. And so you needed to have all these different integrations. Otherwise, it just was not, you just couldn't even compete. And we were going to, we were seeing that it was going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. So we talked to like, hundred companies, talked to every single department because I really wanted to see what the pain was, whether it was in partnerships, it was customer success, it was pre-sales, it was, you know, it was like exec teams, so who, like who was feeling this pain? And it was, turns out it's everyone. A whole company is really impacted by integrations. You don't have integrations, you can't sell your product. Building these integrations means having to like go hunt for API access, trying to purchase the sandbox account. Your partnerships team might take like six months in order to even get access in the first place. And then once you finally do get access, you build, you scope, you try to design how to like add it to your, like to your products. You spend so much time building the integration. And then after you have to continuously maintain it and your customer success team has no idea what's going on. Maybe something is a bug because you didn't handle a certain edge case in your code base. Or maybe something is just because, uh, you know, uh, your customer went through authentication flow and didn't give you the correct permissions. There's so many different issues that can happen with integrations. And it's really, really hard to figure out what's going on. And what it always requires is a huge team completely focused on it. So who are you selling this to? The business side of things? The founders? To, is it No, who are you selling it to? depends on the company size. If it's a really small company, it's always the founders because they're the buyer, they're the decision maker, and they just implement us immediately. Um, as for like slightly larger companies, it can still be the CTO or um, or as like a VP engineering or a VP product. Um, and much larger companies, it's usually like the product manager for that department or, um, you know, engineering leader that owes that responsibility. It kind of depends on how that org is structured. Um, it can be a little bit lower down in the organization, but in the end, it is a permanent decision. It is strategic. Um, and when you decide to make a bet on merge, it's really hard to pull it back. And so usually we do have to get final sign off from the CTO or CPO. So help me understand in the context of my previous product that I built. So I've built a couple different softwares. We'll use the leadership software that we built. So we built a leadership software and uh, you know, it could people wanted it to integrate with like payroll systems so that they didn't have to add people to leadership. They wanted it to integrate with their content. Um, they had these other content systems that would track like employee growth. They had all these different things that they wanted us to integrate with. How would we use Merge? 
you would use us for the payroll situation for the payroll um, use case where say one of your customers Uber or Uber comes to you they're like hey we're using Workday we need you to have an integration with Workday instead of having to build Workday you use us because what would probably happen is that the next customer Lyft comes to you and they're using Oracle you don't have an Oracle integration instead of having to build the integration in house you just flip on a switch you're just using merge no code changes on your end and then say another company I don't know UPS comes to you they're using some random HR system. You also don't have an integration there. And Merge does. You just flip it on, it's already ready. Or like most of our customers, what they do is they integrate once with us. They turn on all 50 HRS integrations and their customers come, they look at their integrations page and they just select whichever provider that we already offer and they onboard without you having to do anything. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's really than, fucking Rather cool. than me having to go actually build, maintain relationships, gain API access, and then code them all with their own, you know, they get the sample code and then, right, and then maintain all that code. I just integrate once to to merge, and then I can go in there and like maybe map some stuff for each integration or do some. No, I don't. No have to mapping. Do anything like no, that. you. Re- it's just one API. Okay. No mapping. Nothing. No transformations. You're not responsible for any of that. We've already handled all of it. It's one API. So you just give me one set of like everything I could need to send to that to merge and I send it to merge and merge handles everything across all the different variants? Yes. So it's category specific because again, we do have to okay. normalize across a category. So if you're like, hey, I want to add some random like gambling provider to um, your HR API, we, we just can't do that. It's not normalizable and it would also lower the quality of our integrations. But if you're like, hey, I want you to add some like Ethiopian HR system to your HR API, we'll add it. And then it just automatically shows up in your product with no code changes on your end. Oh, you standardize across the category. Okay. Yes. I'm not yeah. the smartest person in the world, but <laughs> but I, I'm kind of picking up on it. That makes yeah. complete and total sense. Okay. It's a new category called unified APIs. It's definitely very new. Um, so the way we try to we try to just explain it is just like we help you add integrations to your product, um, but it's a one-to-many API. See, that's, yes. Okay. I can process that. That is actually really, really, really interesting. And so how long have you been at this journey? Where are you at on the growth stage? Are you guys billionaires yet? <laughs> no, definitely not. We've always been, we've hired a VP finance and operations early on who is very fiscally responsible. And so we never over fundraised. We never uh, got really crazy valuations. We were always pretty like reasonable about like how we wanted to fundraise and, you know, hire people and give them like good equity offers as well. Um, so we never got into like the 2021 craze. Hmm. What are you most excited about right now? Well, we're moving into enterprise and it's been really, really exciting. Um, like many of our customers, we're also seeing them doing the same thing, especially with the current market downturn. Uh, but I think what's especially exciting is that currently there's so many companies that um, are now getting introduced to Merge and they've never had an option like this before. They may currently have hundreds of people fo- focused on this or they may want to launch a new product in, in order to create like new revenue streams. And we're a really easy way for them to experiment with new products. Um, or handle long tail integrations as well. So especially in a situation where money is really tight, there's not a lot of budgeting. What's really great about Merge is that we are revenue generating and also cost cutting at the same time. That's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about like team building, leadership, because you're the founder and you're the current CEO, correct? Yes. All right. I'm a founder and CEO. This is not not easy business to do. It's always staring. I think someone... Musk said it was like staring into the abyss and eating glass is how he described it. (laughs) Yeah. So what are you learning right now throughout this like founding? So we stopped having marketing leadership earlier this year. And for a while, we tried to have like other team members stretch themselves a little bit, like kind of manage the marketing team. But it was really, really tough to do that because everyone's super busy. No one has like has marketing experience at all. And in early October, 
I was just looking at what with the big gaps that the company were. And I realized that the one area where I could probably have a really big impact was marketing the, managing the marketing team directly. So immediately after that, I had six ICs reporting to me and we changed the operating cadence of the team significantly. So before the team was meeting every week, every single team member was doing one-off marketing. They were not really working together on certain projects. So it was kind of like you would own a project end to end and no one would really help you. And no one was really aware of what everyone else was doing. Um, so I cut all that. So we started all over. We started meeting every single day and we would have some really uncomfortable conversations. Like this is just not enough work in a day. You need to add more or this is not important. Let's cut this. Or like, who asked you this? I'll talk to them. Um, and everything was just really focused on pipeline, pipeline, pipeline. That's the only thing that's really important. Everything else is nice to have. The most important thing for a marketing team to do is generate pipeline. And we became really ruthless about it. Um, so every day meeting, everyone's sharing what they're doing all day, saying, hey, this isn't enough or saying this is too much. If there were any gaps in um, capacity for the team, we would help each other out. And also just really making sure that whatever we were measuring, it was actually being measured. We were not measuring things properly at all. So we had no idea what was working, what wasn't working. It was really like a huge overhaul of what the processes looked like. But in the two months since I've started managing the marketing team, now we've doubled pipeline. Oh, that is awesome. And what did you find is the most important thing to focus on? Operating rhythm and also measuring things properly. Operating rhythm? How do you, what's that? It's the little things like making sure everyone's meeting every day. We're a fucking team. We're not one, we're not individuals. Everyone is a team member. We have to know what everyone is doing and you have to be able to help each other out. It has to be a ball that you're continuously passing to another person. So the finally you could throw the ball and get to the goal. Or sorry, that's not that's not a sport at all. But you know what I mean. That's whatever. You know what I mean. We do it. Anyways, like, I got so, you. I got you. Yeah, yeah. you got whatever. Or kick the ball, whatever. You know what I mean. Um, and so yeah, meeting every day, making sure there's a full day's work of like full day like of work because it's really easy, especially if you're meeting once a week, to think about your projects in terms of weeks instead of days. And what a lot of a lot of projects that shot probably should have taken four full days ended up taking weeks just because there was no responsibility to share with other people how long things were taking and no one was holding people accountable. So I think operating rhythm is like a baseline and there's still so much more upside just from improving our operating rhythm. And the team right now is they're killing it. They're really, really killing it. And they have full visibility to what everyone else is doing. And they're learning a lot from each other as well now. And it's just hard to feel like a team if you're only meeting once a week. And if you are not doing, if you're not sharing what you're doing and you're not working on projects together. And then is there a lot of market pressure here as far as like a lot of people looking for these solutions? Are they going crazy right now trying to find the the thing that Merge solves? They are. And we were not distributing it enough. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the onus of educating the market about Merge was on the SDR team. And our SDR team was super, super, super productive. And they're amazing. But we needed to make sure we were scaling that in a way. Um, and that meant putting it onto marketing. Okay, so if we have engineering leaders that are listening right now, what's like the big business reason? What's the reason that they're going to contact Merge? If you need a lot of integrations because your customers are asking for them and you don't have capacity to build them, you probably have a lot of other shit you need to build. You should be using Merge. Boom, nailed it. That's awesome. Is this your first company? Yeah, it is. And what are you learning? I mean, I mean, everything is new. Like everything's very, very new. Uh, I've been a manager before. I've worked at a startup before. Um, but like being the founder, now I really understand a lot of the decisions that my old CEO made. And before I was chief of staff and I would see him do certain things. I'd see him be really stressed out and I would see him save the company over and over and over again when there was a point where everyone was like, oh my God, like you guys are so fucked. 
Um, and <laughs> I now see why, yeah. like why and how he did it because like you have no choice. You have to figure things out. And so I think I, I've just learned a lot and I've gotten a lot of empathy towards what he had to do and how hard it was. Um, it has made us a lot closer as well. So in the TLDR, everything is new, but I think this part that especially is new for me is now understanding how difficult leadership is. And so when obviously leadership is incredibly difficult and yeah, that's, I, I've heard so many people talk about every time you feel like you get it going, it's two steps forward, 10 steps back type deal. It's rough. It's rough, but especially it's, right now, because it was yeah. like, we started COVID and then like, then um, SVB happened and then like the downturns happening and there's, it's just like, we can't just have, no, I just want just want a good time. You know? Oh man. So as you are going through this process of, of growth and you're looking for great people, obviously people make all the difference in the world. What type of traits or characteristics inside of your direct reports are you looking for? So we have a couple of filters already that do constrain who we can hire at Merge. So we're 100% in person five days a week. Um, we're in New York and San Francisco and we're opening an office in Berlin. But if you don't live in those areas or you're not willing to relocate, fortunately, you just can't join Merge. Uh, we made this decision pretty early on and it was definitely very controversial. But what we found is it's helped a lot with employee retention. It's helped a lot with employee happiness. Um, it's also made us more productive and move faster too. And so that's why we chose it. And unfortunately, it decreases top of funnel a lot. But even among that top of funnel, we're very opinionated about our culture. Um, we still work really, really hard. Like the team is grinding every single day. And they're also the just great people to work around. I think we have a really awesome, kind, hardworking team that is extremely enthusiastic. Um, everyone is really excited about integrations. And integrations, obviously, it's a drag. API providers change. Like, things just happen. But because everyone around us is just so positive and really excited, um, it just makes work really fun. Like, every day, like, we go to the office, you bully each other, really close, you know about <laughs> each other's personal lives. And so we've been really intentional in making sure that everyone we hire is just like a really nice person. Um, and so I think that's why it's so great to like come to work and talk to everyone who's here. When, I, when you first started talking, when we came into the interview, my brain said, oh, she needs a shirt that says bubbly AF. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I see. There's your clothing line. <laughs> well, you should, you should see my co-founder. He's even crazier than I am. But yeah, I mean, everyone in our company is really enthusiastic and it's actually one of our values. Um, enthusiasm is momentum because if you're super enthusiastic about it, you go into a meeting, you're energizing everyone around you. It makes everyone really excited to like get this project going, you know, really do well, like make our customers super happy, close the deal. And there's so much that enthusiasm can do for you. And so uh, we found that it's been a big advantage for us. Have you been able to find enthusiastic engineers, software engineers? All of our engineers are really enthusiastic. Yeah. That is awesome. awesome. I love that you guys they're nerdy, do the in-person. Really, yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> enthusiastic nerds. That's a, that's a crazy recipe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, I love that you're in person. I think that that's fantastic. It's incredibly hard. The first couple years of our company, we were in person. And then when COVID happened, we went remote. And I got to be honest, I think about going in person all the time because there's just that little extra edge and Ultimately, at the end of the day, we're all in a competitive marketplace, right? Yep. And whoever has the edge, it's it's the li doing the little things well that give you that that extra one percent that you need to win. And so, I can see that as a huge advantage. Did your investors like that as well? I don't think they felt super strongly about it in the beginning. And I think now, as the companies continue growing, we, you know, they're able to see our metrics. We're also able to see the reputation that we have in the market. They're starting to see, yeah, like Shedsey and Gill were super pity about it. It definitely makes exact hiring harder. Limits, again, limits top of funnel significantly, but we have just a really, really tight-knit team and it's had so many 
like advantages that have compounded over the years that I think at this point, they're like, yes, they did what worked best for them. All right. So you're screening for talent, enthusiasm, attitude. What else are you looking for? Well, you all, baseline, you have to be able to do the job too, because if you're really bad at your job and you have all of those <laughs> things, unfortunately, it's also not going to work. But I do think if you have a really great attitude, you can you can do anything and you can always do better. If you really care, if you're working really hard, even if you're not like starting off as a top performer, you can turn anything around. And then did you did you guys get capital before you left your jobs or did you get customers before you left your job? How did that transition happen? No. So we we gave notice. Um, we both had to give a pretty lengthy notice because we were at our last companies and we were working pretty closely with the founders there. Um, and then we had a period where we were just head down coding. I actually hadn't coded since college. Um, so I was pretty rusty and pretty shit, honestly. Uh, but I had to contribute to the company as a software engineer because there was nothing to do in the beginning but code. Like, I think a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I can do like the business stuff. Like I can do, you know, incorporation, blah, blah, blah. But there's a ceiling for how much you can really do if you're building a technical company. And you just have, in the end, you just have to code. So I got back into it. Gil spent a lot of time really teaching me, investing in me so that I could help like accelerate the team. And all we did was code. Like we woke up, bike to his apartment, we were coding. Go home at like 9 p.m. I'd get back to my couch, I'd be coding. Uh, the next day, go say repeat, rinse and repeat. And we did that for a month um, before we had a really great demo and we were able to show people what we were thinking. And that was when we started fundraising. Uh, we had already several commits from people in the Valley that were saying, yeah, like if you, guys, if you guys can build this, we'll test it out, we'll use it. And that was enough at the time. Um, but unfortunately for us, we were fundraising around June 2020, and it was still awkward to fundraise over Zoom because people weren't used to meeting with people over Zoom at the time. Like everyone had just transitioned from meeting in person to Zoom. Um, and so we were really nervous about how it was going to go. But um, yeah, we worked really hard at prepping, you know, did a lot of practice. Um, and especially for the seed route, it's kind of like your debutante ball. You want to meet as many people as possible. But practice really, really makes perfect. And it's good to see all the questions that people ask you. Um, because it makes you realize like you need to know the answers to everything. Um, and it shouldn't be a situation where someone else brings you a question that you haven't thought of before. And it's it's a muscle that like, as you continue going, you definitely need to remember. Uh, but I think especially for people who are very new to it, like it's a good reminder of that. And what's your plans now? Are you continuing to fundraise? Or are you just growing off of capital, like your your cash? We barely touched our Series B, so definitely not right now. Um, I'm not a huge fan of spending money, at, like spending money on, and time, like fundraising unnecessarily, because if I do fundraise right now, it kind of screws my current team. And it also makes it a really difficult situation for the people who end up coming to see a lot of upside if I'm way overvalued. Um, so my goal is to make sure that what this team currently has is a really great deal. They feel like they're intrinsically motivated um, and that I'm not irresponsible with how we're spending our money and also our cap table. Do you have smart parents too? Or is it just you? They're okay. They're okay? All right. <laughs> <laughs> so did you learn business and things like that from your parents or no? Not really. Um, my dad is much smarter than I am. He's like he's like a true inventor. Um, I'm not, but he's like a tr he's like a he's like a chemical engineering scientist, and he's so many mm. different patents. Uh, but I I started coding pretty young, and I knew like I really wanted to be a software engineer. My mom is a software engineer as well, so um, I went to college and became a software engineer and studied CS. But I think it was pretty clear to me that a major gap that I had was the business side. So I had to fill in that gap very much um, after school from from my work. So did investment banking, moved into private equity, but otherwise I wouldn't have known any of this. 
Oh, when you shared your story about how you helped coding, I thought you were coming from like not a coding background and you were just kind of learning it. You went to college for this stuff and your mom did it. So you, you had familiarity with it. You oh, Gil wasn't yeah. teaching you basic like hello world no, concepts. Yeah, No, okay. but I was still really bad. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, yeah, he didn't teach me like object-oriented programming or like databases. Like I knew all that, um, but it had been a really long time and it's very different coding in school projects versus coding for a company. Oh, 100%. I've done yeah. some for several years years, I did mentoring with kids that were kids, adults, I guess, that are in college learning programming. And I got to see, and I didn't go to college for programming. So I got to see what they were being taught and how they were being taught. And I was like, oh, wow, that that's not how it, how it happens in life. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. very different. Yeah. It's super different. Yeah. All right. We are chomping. We are getting, th- your, your words per minute is admirable. Uh <laughs> I need to slow down. It's, <laughs> I know. I know. That's what my mom always says. She's like, you really need to slow down in some of these um, podcasts. She also says we say, yeah, so too much. And so Gil and yeah. I've been really careful about that too. Do you take any public speaking? Have you taken any public speaking courses or classes or anything like that? Yeah, I've also done media training too. Ooh, what was that like? It was really good. Uh, we learned a lot from that. I actually thought it wasn't going to be super helpful, but we did it before we went to a conference in San Francisco where Excel was like, hey, you guys should probably prep a little bit for this because we we don't we don't know if you guys are going to do a good job. But what they were really good at was, especially in situations where there's information that you don't want to talk about, how to address mm. it. We did we are very fortunate to not be in that situation right now. But eventually if we are, I think that it, what he taught us will always be helpful. So I really appreciate that based on that time with us. Ooh, any tips for me? You have to be prepped. Obviously, you have to know what to say. And even if the journalists continue to hound on the thing that you don't want to talk about, you need to answer not exactly what they're saying, but say something more positive. So one example, for instance, is he showed us this clip of where um, Facebook, I believe Facebook lost the bid for showing the Super Bowl or something like that. And the exact that owned that department was on Good Morning America or something like that. And the journalist kept being like, oh, how do you feel about losing this bid? How do you feel about losing this bid? And in the end, what he said was, he didn't even answer it. He was just like, what what we display is like the behind the scenes stuff. And that's the most important thing. And that's what our competitive edge is. So he just like didn't answer it, but he implied that they were okay. Ooh, that's brilliant. But it it always is going to come up. And similar with, um, I think there was a, there was another interview that he showed us where Brian Chesky from Airbnb was super prepped as well, especially for some of the like legal issues that are happening. And there's no way around it, especially if you're doing a media tour, they're going to ask you the hard questions and you just have to have an answer that you're okay with. Yeah. What's the call to action? How do people get started with your product? Is it a free trial? Do they talk to salespeople? How does that go? Super easy. We have a self-serve option. So if you go to merge.dev, there's a sign up option. You can just click, sign up, put in your credentials. You don't have to talk to a single person. You can immediately start testing. Alternatively, we also really love it when people reach out to our sales team so we can show them a really great demo too. There's a lot of nuances with integrations that people don't know about. And especially if it's your first time building an integration, we would love to make sure that we can educate you um, and really be your partner through it. And so we'll put the the link in the, in the show notes so people can go sign up and explore and see what this whole thing is about. But what was your first category? You said you've done, is category-based integrations for, you can correct me if I didn't use the right word. Uh, what is what is the first category that you did? First categories were HRIS and ATS. The reason why we chose that was because Gil already had familiarity with ATS, but I knew the TAM was too small. 
And so we also added HRIS because it had a wider TAM. It was more broad, um, probably less urgent than ATS integrations, but I thought it would give us some interesting challenges um, that were very different from the challenges that ATS would present for us. Um, and I'm really glad we did both because it forced us to be really stretched from the very beginning. And it really built a muscle of allowing us to add new integrations and cause ourselves a lot of pain, but power through it that no other company has been able to do. That's awesome. Well, I think we made a podcast. And is there anything okay. else that we need to get out there to the world or did we cover it all? I think we covered it all. Maybe if you need integrations and you're looking to get in contact, you can go to merge.dev, sign up for a demo, or you can reach out to me directly at shensiemerge.dev. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.